Precious Father, we want to thank you for the privilege we have to study your scriptures this evening. We trust you to teach us, trust you to help us to understand what the Spirit has for us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <coughs> so we're going to talk about, uh, we're starting a new series this season, Walking in Divine Health, especially during pandemic. We need to look at scriptures to see what the scripture says about sickness it says about pandemic and what should be a scriptural response to situations like this. So we start by looking at what is the source of sickness from scripture. Of course, pandemic is sickness. So what is the source of all of that and how does it come? Where does it come from? So we know exactly what we are dealing with. Uh, the scripture tells us that sin opens the door to sickness. Again, here, I need to make a clarification. Please, it's not every time you have sickness, you say I committed sin. That's not what we're teaching here. And please don't let the devil accuse you and put sickness on you. That's not what we're talking about. We need to make it clear. If it is so, then everybody will be sick because there's no man that doesn't sin. You sin by your mouth, you sin by every. It's not like that. But the fact remains, according to scripture, that sin will cause sickness. And we all know, again, there is sickness that comes because of bad habit. Uh, if you have poor dietary habits, you can get yourself diabetes. You can get yourself high blood pressure. Uh, there are things that come from a, a, a very poor behavioral patterns that we have not uh, taken care of. I mean, there are sickness that comes from very poor behavioral patterns that we have not taken care of. That could also come under sin because that is uh, sinning against your body. And so, that again, the scripture shows us that. Sickness can be oppression of Satan. It can be oppression of Satan. Again, let me say it. It's not every sickness you have that is because of sin. Please, not everyone. You know, as we study, you're going to see, uh, get more clarity on this uh, as the scripture guides us in this one. Acts 10, 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So we see here that sickness is oppression of Satan. It's oppression of Satan, according to scripture. Luke 13, 10. On Sabbath day, as Jesus was teaching in his synagogue, he saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. The woman was crippled by an evil spirit. So the, an evil spirit can, bring, can make somebody crippled. She had been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. We see that the Bible says this is the activity of evil spirit. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. And then he touched her, and instantly she could stand straight. How she praised God. But the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath. They really see how people are. Instead of rejoicing that somebody is healed, they are really, they are really particular about their denominational do's and don'ts. That's what's important to them. Not because somebody is free. 18 years of sickness, you thought that the, the pastor of that organization would be rejoicing. Instead, they, they are indignant because they attach more, more importance to their, to their denominational laws, to the rework that God is doing. So there are six days of the week for walking, he said to the crowd, come on these days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. But the Lord replied, you hypocrites, 
Each of you walk, each of you walks on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it out for water. This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan. That sickness crippled her for 18 years. Isn't, isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath? Because she's a covenant child of God. So we can see that the devil can cause cripple, can make people cripple, can bring sickness upon people. In Mark chapter 9, verse 25, when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, which means the devil can make people dumb and make them deaf. Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried, rent him sore, and came out of him. And he was as one dead, in as much as many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. So you see that we're seeing here that the devil causes sickness. It's obvious that he does that. Then the Bible says, okay, okay, that even sin also causes sickness. Romans 5, 12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. The sin of Adam is the first sin that entered the world. And sin brought death. When you talk of death, is spiritual death all right? Spiritual death all right, but it's also physical death. Because when God created Adam, Adam was not supposed to die. He wasn't supposed to die until sin came. And, you know, when you talk of death, you talk of the things that the process of death, sickness is a process that brings death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. So you see that our sin is not really basically what we did. It's from Adam. It spread to everyone, everyone. So that's why everybody needs to, go, to get saved. You can't say, oh, my God, I behave so well. You can't behave yourself out of this. The sins of Adam spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Now, 1 Corinthians 15, 56 for sin is this thing that results in death. Results in death. And the law gives sin its power. Again, this is why you shouldn't really be, you shouldn't follow the law. You should follow grace. Follow Christ. Follow the power of the Spirit. Law gives sin its power. But the goodness of God leads to repentance. The grace and mercy of God leads to repentance. There's no place the scripture says that when you preach about sin, people repent. It's not there. It is the goodness of God. It is the grace of God. It is the spirit of God. Have a mercy on you that leads you to repentance. For without Christ, you can do nothing. You can't repent. So we say, it says, it says um, that sin is this thing that results in death. So you see, the sin of Adam, sin we commit, can result in sickness that brings death. And the law gives sin its power, 57. But thank God... He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. We should be shouting for glory because through Jesus Christ, we overcome sin, overcome death. Ephesians 4.27, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Man, anything that gives a foothold to the devil will allow the devil to afflict the person. So we see that sin plays a role in, in um, bringing sickness into the life of a person. Again, like I said, it's not every time you, have, you, have, you feel sick, you say it's your sin. It's not true. It's not true. The Holy Spirit is there to guide you and instruct you and teach you so that you know exactly why this is happening to you. But it's not every time you always say I committed sin. It's not true. Again, it's not true. But the scripture again says that sin opened the door to death. And that some things we do give the devil a foothold. 
Will you give this a foothold? It's like building an altar for him from where he operates. Will you give a foothold to somebody? It's where he stands and, and builds his, is where he has foundation from where he operates. And the devil is a killer. He's a killer. He's a destroyer. So you see that certain things we do can also open the door to the devil. But the Lord reveals that sin also results in sickness. John 5, 14. Afterward, Jesus finded him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more. Let a worse thing come unto thee. So obviously, it was sin that brought him to that situation. And Jesus said, Don't continue in that thing, because a worse thing will come to you. So we see in, um, in uh, the scripture that the devil afflicts people with sickness, and sin can open somebody up to sickness which means it gives the devil a foothold from where he can afflict somebody, from where he can afflict somebody. So again, let me say it again. It's not every time you have sickness, you say, oh my God, it's because of what I did. The Spirit of God will guide you and let you know. But the scripture is clear that if you perpetrate yourself in evil, open the door to the devil to come in and afflict you one way or the other. So, the, but so there are some sickness that is not because of our sin. That's what I'm saying. It's mere trial and temptations that come to people. John 9, from verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. You know, then the theology then is that once you are sick, it has to be the devil. And Jesus debunked that and said, no, it's not like that. That's what I'm saying. Not every sickness is because of sin. Okay? So verse 2. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin? This man or his parents, because that's the theology at the time, that he was born blind. Jesus answered, neither had this man sinned, nor his parents. So this is not what sin cost, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. So you see, we see a situation that Jesus said, this is not sin that caused this. Thing. So people can be sick, not because of the sin they committed. They can be sick because of trials that come to, to, to people. Severe sickness can come because of trials of life. So it's not always you say it's because of sin. No, it's not. If it's sin, the Holy Spirit is there to lead you and guide you. He will show you that this is what is causing this thing. And then you follow him in all circumstances. Don't be wise in your own eyes. The enemy will accuse you and afflict you and then deal with you. Just follow the Holy Spirit in all situations. If you do something, the Lord will, you will know, your spirit will let you know. If your spirit is not letting you know, in all likelihood, you haven't really done anything for which you should bother about. Now, the, we have this brother from the Philippian church who was also sick, not because of sickness, and not because of sin. Philippians 2.25. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother. See, so it's not because a true brother a co-worker and fellow soldier, and he was your messenger to help me in my need. I am sending him because he has been longing to see you, and he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. He was very sick, very sick. A Christian can get sick, which is no trial of life. In verse 27, and he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died, and Paul could not heal him. See, the gifts of God, you don't switch it on when you like. If there was somebody Paul would have wanted to heal it, is this brother. Paul couldn't with all the anointing on the handkerchief, and he couldn't. He just could not. And none of them could. The shadow of Peter didn't walk here. Nothing. He said, he said, he said, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me, 
so that I will not have one sorrow after another. Apparently, some people had died too. So he said that God had mercy on me so that I wouldn't have sorrow, one sorrow after another. Maybe I sorrowed over somebody that passed, and now this brother was very sick, almost about to die, you know. So you can see that sickness can be a trial of life. It's not because of sin or anything. But again, there is sickness that is because of the sin we commit. And sickness can be oppression of Satan. So you can't just bunch everything together. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to guide you in life, in all things. As he guides you, you'll be able to locate why this is happening so you can have a biblical response to it. So, and then again, sickness is never from God. Well, if the devil convinces you that this is God afflicting you, you will accept it, and then he will deal with you. But it's never from God. The scripture never teaches that. It's never from God. Hebrews 10, 7. Then said, I lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Jesus said, I came to do thy will, O God. John 4, 34. Jesus said unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. He said, I came to do his will and to finish his work. Then John 10, 30. I and my father are one. So whatever I'm doing is what my father does. We're not separate. Now, what was the father's work he was referring to? Now, let's look at Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The anointing of the Lord is upon me. The Holy Spirit is upon me. Why? Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. First is preaching the gospel. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. See, healing. Healing. After preaching the gospel is healing. Even put healing first, spread the gospel, so you have faith to, to be healed. You have, Jesus operated the same way he wants us to operate. He didn't operate differently. The same Holy Spirit he had that we too have when we get baptized. It's the same walking by faith. He kept telling people, your faith made you whole. Most of his healings he did was by people's faith. Your faith made you whole. Your faith made you whole. Your faith made you whole. So now he put preaching the gospel first. I said it one time that his primary ministry was teaching. Teaching ministry is very, very important. If God has gifted you with the giving of a gift of teaching, please realize that your role is very, very important because it is God's answer to ignorance. That the Bible says, "My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge." It's, it's God's answer to fight false doctrines. It's God's answer to, to keep people from backsliding into darkness. It's very important ministry. So He said, "Preaching the gospel is number one to the poor." He, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To preach deliverance, you see, deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, that this is the year that the grace of God is made available. So you can see that the anointing is on him. The work of the Lord includes preaching, includes healing, includes deliverance, including recovery of sight, which means giving revelation. By teaching, he's giving revelation. By teaching, he's giving understanding to people. And then to declare... And then to set our liberty, them that are bruised. Isn't that healing? And then in 1 John 3, 8, he that committed sin is of the devil. For the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. The, all the works of the devil, including sickness, all of them. Jesus said, I came to destroy all of them. Not part, not some, all of them. All of them, all of them. So you can see the work of the Father. His, his sickness is affliction of the devil. He said, I came to destroy it too. I came to destroy it too. So you, you, when you read these scriptures, you will know that it is God, that God is not, cannot be giving you sickness. Cannot be. When God is walking to heal you, how can God turn around and be giving you sickness at the same time? Pray John 3, 8. I mean, John 10, 10. It if cometh not but to steal, to kill, to destroy, I am come 
that they might have life, not death, not sickness, and that they might have it more abundantly. He said, the thief, the devil comes to kill, destroy, and then um, and they steal. Now, you know, you, it's easy for you to know what the devil is doing from what the Spirit of Christ is doing. Anything that steals from you, steals your health, steals your money, steals your joy, steals your marriage, steals the blessings that God gave you. It's not Christ. That's the devil. That's his ministry. Anything that destroys, anything that destroys life, marriage, career, it's not Christ. It's the devil. Anything that kills, sickness kills, pandemic kills, it's not Christ. He said, this is what the, the devil comes to do. And he told us, but I have come to give you life, healing, restore you to life. So it's, you can't say that God is the one that's causing me sickness because sickness kills. You can't say that. So it doesn't come from God at all. You need to have that perspective. Don't ever associate God with that because that's not his ministry at all. It's easy to know what is of the devil, what is of the Holy Spirit, what is of the, the Lord Christ, the love, the love, God is love. Love cannot afflict you. Sickness cannot do that. Somebody that came to die for you, give his life for you, can turn around and give you sickness. And some people say, you know, they quote uh, Job. God didn't give Job sickness. It was the devil. It was the devil. It wasn't God. It was the devil. And God restored him, gave him seven times more. Seven times more. You know, so you, you can, we can always walk safely, but we stay by scriptures. And some people say God is making music to teach me humility. I don't know any scripture that says you, you need to be sick to learn humility. When you are sick, you are, the, you are the worst of your state of mind. Is there any parent who can teach his children with sickness to be humble? Deprived? I mean, can, can you even starve them and make them sick so that you're teaching? We human beings don't do that. How do I attribute that to an excellent God who is love? So God has nothing to do with that. Again, look at what the scripture says that God gives. James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Sickness is not a good one. It's not a good one. It's not perfect. And coming down from the father of lights, not darkness. God does not do works of darkness. With whom is no variableness. It doesn't change. You can't all of a sudden start doing the works of set. I know it's not possible. No variable, neither shadow of turning. So it is, then some people ask, is it God's way to heal me? Well, let's see the scripture answer that. Mark 3, 14. And he ordained 12 that they should be with him. And that they might send them, that he might send them forth to preach. You see, preach. Preach again, number one. Preaching again, number one. Any church you go and the word of God is not primary. Pack your things and leave. Pack your things and leave. They are magicians. The word of God is primary. It, it, you need to understand that the just must live by faith. And faith comes through that word. It's not magic. To preach, number one. Then what are they supposed to be doing? And to have power to heal the sick, uh, this, to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. You see, this is will now. So when he sent his disciples out, he said, this is what you need to do. The same work I'm doing, the same work of the Father, the same work of the Father. They said, I came to do that will, O oh God, to finish your work. Say the work is preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons. Preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons. So you see, so it's, it's his will. And then Matthew 8 from verse 1, when he came down from the mountain, Great multitudes followed him, and behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. If you will, if it's your will, you can make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him and saying, I will, I will. I, I wish everyone can say that with me, I will. Which means God, Jesus, and you know, he's no respecter of persons. If he says, I will to the leper, he will say, I will to you. He will say, I will to anybody. So you can hear him say to you, I will. It's my will. It's my will. 
always my will. Remember, the Bible talks about God and says there is, whom, there is no variableness. It doesn't change. It doesn't have variations. Neither shadow of turning. So it's our will then. It's our will now. It's his will tomorrow. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. His will is our will and our will, our will. His word is yea and yea, not yea and no. So I will, he said, I will build that clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. So it's his will for us to be well. And so God provided healing in the atonement or in his redemption plan or salvation plan or package that we have in Christ. Now we'll talk about salvation. Churches have not taught about salvation to explain to people what that salvation really is. We just say we are saved. Most times we don't even know what we are saved from. We just don't understand it. And because we don't understand it, we don't live in the benefits of that salvation. It's a package that God gave us free of charge. We don't live in it because we don't know about it. We don't know about it. But we should know because the scripture teaches it. And then let's see from Psalm 107. You will see that Jesus Christ really brought us healing. In Psalm 107 verse 17, he said, Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. We are afflicted. And then when they are afflicted, they are so abhorred all manner of food. And when you are sick, you don't like food. All manner of food. They, were drew, they drew near to the gates of death. You see, he said, that's what brought the sickness, iniquity, sin. That brought the sickness. In verse 19, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. How did he save them? He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men will give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works with the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. Here we see, just teaching us again how to accept these things by faith and declare his works and declare I am healed. Let the redeemed say so. Let the healed say so. We rejoice in. No memory. We rejoice in. He sent his word. He said, what caused that sin? was the, the iniquities of people, the sin of Adam. The sin of Adam brought death to us. That's what this place is saying. And God sent the word to bring us healing. That is what Jesus said, I came to do thy will, O God. Finish the work. Part of it is to give us healing. It's part of your salvation package. Some people say I was saved from sin. Sure, now you need to know if you are saved from sin, then you are saved from sickness. You are saved from sickness. It's automatic. Totally automatic, you know. And then the Jesus is the word. In Revelation 19, 13, he, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the word of God. He sent his word. Jesus is the word of God. First John 1, from verse 1, we, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our hands. He is the word of life. He sent his word. Jesus is the word. Then John, John 1, 14, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So the Father's one and only Son became, became uh, the word became human. So when the Bible says he sent his word, it's Jesus that he sent to heal us. It's Jesus that he sent to heal us from the consequences of iniquity that, that all have sinned, falling short of the glory of God. So... Um, in King James says, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now, the redemptive chapter of, of the, I call it redemptive chapter because it really tells us the story of our redemption. In details, we bear us out here that Jesus is the sin-bearing lamb of God. The sin-bearing lamb of God. The sacrificial lamb of God upon whom God laid all our 
sins, all our iniquities, and if he laid his, our sins on him, then he took the consequences too. So we don't take it. You must understand this sense. If Jesus bore your sins, then the consequences of sin are gone from you. They're gone from you. How can you bear consequences of something that somebody has born for you? Once he bears your sin, the consequences of sin penalties are gone from you, including the sickness that the iniquity, fools because of their iniquity are afflicted. So if you bore my iniquity, there's no more affliction coming to me. There is no more affliction coming to me. So in Isaiah 53 verse 4, he said, yet he was the one who carried our sickness. You see that? I'm reading, um, I'm reading this translation, TPT. TPT translation. Isaiah 53 verse 4. Yet he was the one who carried our sicknesses. See that? He carried our sicknesses and endured the torment of our sufferings. We viewed him as one who was being punished for something he himself had done. As one who was struck down by God and brought low. But it was because, it was because of our rebellious deeds that he was pierced. He was pierced because of our rebellious deeds. And because of our sins that he was crushed, he endured the punishment that made us completely whole. Completely whole. And in his wounding, we found our healing. So if, 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 if fools, because of their iniquity, they afflicted and he sent his word to heal us, then the world came and said, well, I came to do that will, O God, to finish your work. Now we've seen how he, the work of he did for us. That he bore the consequence, they bore our sin and the consequences. And the, the scripture said, we were completely made whole, and in his wounding, we found our healing. Verse 6, like wayward sheep, we have all wandered astray. Each of us has turned from God's path and chosen our own way. Even so, Yahweh, our God, laid the guilt of our every sin upon him. The guilt of every sin we committed was laid upon him. If he, if he was guilty for me, then I'm no more guilty. And if I'm no more guilty, you don't punish me. I'm no more guilty. He took my guilt. He took the verdict of guilt on me. was on him. And by that singular action, sickness that came because of sin is no more my portion. It's just, it's just that easy. It's just that easy. First Peter 2.24 now, now affirms this. First Peter 2, 24, I'm reading a New King James Version. First Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. See that? He bore our sins because he carried our guilt. He bore our sins. He bore our sins. On, we, everybody agrees with this. Why don't we agree with the whole verse? He bore on his body on the tree that we haven't died to sin, might live unto righteousness, which is true. He bore our sins. He, we were crucified with him. So we rose in newness of life, in new nature. So we're dead to sin. The new nature we have is dead to, does not respond to sin. Because that's the nature of Christ. That's the life of Christ. That's the life of Jesus that we now have. And they said, by whose stripes you were healed. That the same means of bearing our sins, the same punishment he took because of our sins, brought us healing. By his stripes we were healed. So you see that Peter was talking about what Isaiah said. And that's what exactly what we're trying to um, determine here. And in Matthew 8, 16, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. And it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying he, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. No, he, said, he said, what Isaiah said, is Jesus is demonstrating this here. Demonstrated that he is the Lord that he led thee. He's the Lord that he led thee. 
he's demonstrating it here. He said, I came to heal you people. I, let me demonstrate it for you people here. He healed all. But remember, now let's remember that Jesus always didn't heal all. If you remember scriptures, when he went to his hometown, he couldn't heal them. The Bible says because they did not believe him. So he couldn't heal them. He couldn't heal them because they did not believe him. He could dare do no mighty works. That's the scripture. And he was, he was marveled. He was baffled at their unbelief. They say he's carpenter. You know, he's not carpenter. Joseph, so we know him. We know the brothers and sisters. So he couldn't heal them. But here he healed everybody. Why? It's a demonstration of the fact that he's the Lord, the healer. The word that have come to heal us. So he was them. Remember, he read the scripture in, in the synagogue. And I said to them, the spirit of the Lord God said upon me, he has anointed me to preach, to heal. And he said, and he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. He said, I am the fulfillment of scripture. I am the word made life. I am God's amen and God's amen. I'm God's yes. I'm God's reality. I'm here. Everything God said in the Old Testament by the prophet is fulfilled in me. I am the fulfillment of scripture. That's what he's saying. That this scripture is fulfilled now in your ears. I'm here now. All these things you see me read now is in fulfillment right here because I'm here. I am scripture. I am the word made life. The word made real. The word made reality. The word put into action. That's who I am. So you see, he healed them all to say, yeah, that which Isaiah said is in also is in fulfillment right here. Because I'm the, God, I'm the Lord that healed thee. So he healed all of them to demonstrate this scripture right here. Okay? So Jesus broke the power of sin and death. It causes by his sacrifice on the cross. We're just trying to say that healing is part of the atonement package that every Christian has. That you don't know it doesn't change the fact. So Colossians 2.12, I think I'm going to read TPT. TPT is, is uh, the Passion Translation. Colossians 2.12, for we have been buried with him into his death. That's right. We died with him. Our baptism into death also means we were raised with him when he, we believed in God's resurrection power. In the power that raised him from the dead realm, 13. This realm of death describes our former state. For we were held in sin's grasp, but now we have been resurrected out of that realm of death. We've been resurrected out of it. We died with him. When he died, he died on my behalf. So I died, you died. If I do something on your behalf, then you are the one that did it. So we, when he died, he died on our behalf, so we died. When he rose, we rose, he rose on our behalf, so we rose in newness of life. That's why we can receive new life from him. Because he did all of this on our behalf. That's why when you come to Christ, then you receive the new life that he has for you. So the Bible is saying, it says in verse 13, the realm of death describes our former state. For we were held in sin's grasp. But now we have been resurrected out of that realm of death, never to return. For we are forever alive and forgiven of all our sins. I wish people can say amen. Forever forgiven of all our sins. Verse 14. He canceled out every legal violation we had on, on our record and the, and the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. He erased all of it. All of it. He bore all our sins, not some. All of it on himself. He erased all of it. Our sins, our stains, so he deleted it all and they cannot be retrieved. Oh, praise the Lord. Cannot be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed into his cross, onto his cross and nailed permanently. There is a public, dis said there, 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 it was nailed publicly there as a public display of cancellation. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them 
every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. Once he took away our sins, the devil was disarmed. Remember that before sin came, the devil was couldn't do anything. Until sin came, couldn't do anything. Couldn't do anything. So what he trusted in was our disobedience that gave him the right to do what he was doing because we showed that to him. The Bible said to whom you yield yourself to obey, you become his servant. So when we started, we, Adam gave to him, he showed that to him, gave him the whole, he became the God of this world. But the Bible is saying here that Christ came and reversed all of that. That the devil, was, when our sin was paid for, his blood washed us away of all unrighteousness. The devil has nothing to hold. No more his slaves. We are brand new creatures. The creature that he was bossing over had died. Now we're he looks at us, whoa, where are these guys coming from? Yeah, we are created new in Christ. We are not the ones that, that, we are not the ones that were, your, were, your, were your slaves. We are now slaves of Christ. We have a new boss. We have a new master. We are born again in him. We are totally different. We should know these things. Then he said, Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and powers to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. That's amazing. Hebrew 2, 14. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil. See, by his death, being our substitute, he broke the power of the devil. By carrying our sin and dying for our sin, dying in our place, paid the penalty. The devil has no power anymore to afflict us. Come on. And then um, he said, who had the power? He had the power of death. He had past tense. Who had? It's hard. He had it. He doesn't have it anymore. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Then Romans 8, 2, for the Lord of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The Bible says the law, and when you come to Christ, you have life, not death. You are redeemed from death. Your old nature is gone. Now it's a law. The former law that was operating is because of sin, death was operating. But the new law is that because of Jesus, life is operating, and life abundantly. So you see that he really redeemed us from all the consequences of sin, including sickness and afflictions of Satan. That's why I say if the son shall set you free, you are free Indeed. Now we should know these things as Christians. Be familiar with them and live by them. Don't just come to church and go and be ignorant. The Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth start working for you. And let's look. The Bible says don't let anybody talk you out of these truths and, and push you back into ritualism that is totally worthless. Colossians 2 verse 18. Because people like rituals. They don't, if you don't know the truth, you want rituals. You think church is babalawo? You think it's native doctor house? Why you have to do rituals? And God is not ritualistic. God is relational, period. So in Colossians 2.18, don't let anyone disqualify you from your prize. Don't let anybody say you don't qualify. Don't let their pretended sincerity fool you as they deliberately lead you into their initiation of angel worship, spiritism, for they take pleasure in pretending to be experts of something they know nothing about. They don't know anything about Christ. They pretend. Their reasoning is meaningless and comes only from their own opinions. 19. They refuse to take hold of the true source, but we, but we receive directly from him. And his life supplies vitality into every part of his body through the joining ligaments connecting us all as one. He is the divine head who guides his body, causes it to grow by the supernatural power of God. 
For you were included in the date of Christ and have died with him with the religious system and powers of this world. Don't retreat back to being bullied by the standards and opinions of religion. For example, there are strict requirements. You can't associate with that person. You don't eat this. You don't, can't touch that. These are the doctrines of men and corrupt customs that are worthless to help you spiritually. Verse 23. For though they may appear to possess the promise of wisdom in their submission to God through the privation of their physical, of their physical bodies, it is actually nothing more than empty rules rooted in religious rituals. These things are so hard. When you look at it, you say, man, there has to be a way to submit to God because you are punishing yourself. He says it's empty rituals. Because Jesus already finished the work. What are you doing rituals for? The work is finished. Why are you doing all these rituals for? You don't need all of that. Now, we receive these things only through faith. Romans 4.13. Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promises is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary. Because then you can go to God and say, God, see, I've obeyed the law, so I don't have to believe anything. So it's payment. It's a deal. It's like a contract. But you know we're not in any contractual deal with God. We're in a covenant with God. It's not a contract. It's not to scratch my back, I scratch your back. That's insulting to God. That's what mean people do. Love does not do that. Love gives you everything. You don't pay for it. And so it says, if God's promise, verse 14, Romans 4, 14, if God's promise is only for those who obey the Lord, then faith is not necessary, and the promise is pointless. Why are you promising me what I'm paying for? Why promise you don't promise me what I'm paying for? If you go to CVS and buy something, they can't say we promise you that you know you say I paid you, my friends, my right, give it to me. It's not any promise or anything. Fifteen. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it anyway. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. He's saying once there is law, we, we because of our flesh, we, we can't keep it all. So even if it's by the law, we can't keep it all. We can't even get it through that means. Verse sixteen. So the promise is received by faith. The promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. Jesus paid for it. And we are all certain to receive it whether or not we live according to the laws of Moses if we have faith like Abraham. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scripture means when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Now, when you hear scripture like this, the devil jumps in and says, see, I'm teaching you to, you can do whatever you like. No, it's not true. Absolutely not true. When you live by faith, you live the life of Christ. You know, there's this song that they say, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. He didn't say obey and trust. He said, if you want to obey God, you start with trusting, faith. You start with trusting him. Trusting Christ, trusting the new nature he gave you. Trust, then you can obey. He didn't say obey and trust. That's what people are teaching people. They are removing the trust and, and pushing them into obey. Obey and obey, obey. The Bible says we were without strength. Ask him, what strength are you going to use? You are without strength. You still don't have strength. Christ is your strength. Christ is always our strength. If you remove Christ, we are without strength. So the scripture says, we sing it, trust and obey. So you trust first, trust in the Lord Jesus. Those that put their faith in him will not be put to shame. And we just read that it is through Christ we have victory over sin. So you, you can't have victory over sin without Jesus. Though. So when, you, when the scripture is saying it's not by law, it's by faith, it's, 
it's, it is everything, everything that Christ did for you, the new life, the new strength, the new wisdom, the new sanctification, all of it that you have, that you assess all of them by faith and leave it, it becomes real by faith. It's not by works we get it. So number, if you want to really do this, then number one, you have to receive the truth from his mouth. Remember what we read? He said, say, these people, they're not hearing from Christ. He said, they're bringing their own opinion. When you don't hear from Jesus, you are bound to bring your own opinion. And the Bible wants us not to lean onto an, our own understanding. So we need to receive the truth from his mouth. First, Ephesians 4.21. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him, as his truth is in Jesus. If so be you've had him and been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. If so be you have had him and that as the truth is in him. Now let me take you back to Colossians 2, 18. Don't let anyone disqualify you for your prize. Don't let their pretended sincerity fool you as they deliberately lead you into their initiation of angel worship. For they take pleasure in pretending to be experts of something they know nothing about. Their reasoning is meaningless and comes only from their own opinion. They refuse to take hold of the true source, which is Christ. But we receive directly from him. We receive directly from him. Let's go back to Romans 4.13. I mean, Ephesians 4.21. Uh, Ephesians 4.21. If so be that you have heard him, you have received directly from him, I have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. If you receive and hear from him, then you know the truth. Then in John 6, 45, it is written in the prophets, and they shall, all, they shall be all taught of God. They shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that has heard and had learned of the Father comes to me. They shall be all taught of God. All taught of God. All taught of God. So we need to put great value in knowing the truth that the Holy Spirit teaches himself. For Jesus said, flesh and blood cannot reveal me to you. It's the spirit of his father that reveals this to us. We have to put great value in knowing Christ, the truth. That will mean praying and asking God to reveal Christ to us and reveal the truth that is in Christ to us. So that this thing we're teaching about redemption and salvation, it will be clear to you, very, very clear to you. And you receive revelation. But if you don't have the love of the truth, you don't seek to know it, you will know it. Actually, the devil will deceive you. First, Second Thessalonians 2, 9. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. 10. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse. Say why? They refuse to love and accept the truth that will save them. They refuse. They don't care about it. So the devil bless them up. And then you start meditating on the scripture. You don't forget Proverbs 3, 4, 20. It says, my child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words, 21. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart. For they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Healing to their whole body. But you have to, you have to carefully listen to it and let it penetrate deep, 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 deep into you. Deep. Second Peter 1.19. And so we have been given the prophetic word, the written message of the prophets, made more reliable and fully validated by the confirming voice of God on Mount of Transfiguration. And you will continue to do well if you stay focused on it. For this prophetic message is like a piercing light shining in a gloomy place until the dawning of a new day when the morning star rises into your heart. You keep focusing 
you keep meditating. It doesn't work for people because they're not following instructions that, that the scriptures gave us. Always in a hurry. This is not, my, this, this is not McDonald's something. It's not pizza parlor. You've got to give it time. In 2 Peter 1.19, because of their experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. That's the translation of this. You must pay close attention to what they wrote. For their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your heart. Remember I said the entrance of, your, of the world brings uh, light and brings understanding. So it has to enter. It must enter. You must meditate upon it. They are not otherwise. You will forget it. And that will call for prayer. Because this is, the, this is what God does when you start asking for him to open your eyes and to teach you. Luke chapter 24 verse 45. Then he, they opened he their understanding that they might understand the scripture. Only God can do this. Nobody can do it for you. And when he opens your heart and you begin to understand the scripture, then you are going to have the witness in you now that this is true. Then faith comes. First John 5 verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God had the witness in himself. Now the Holy, Holy Spirit is witnessing to you because he has opened your eyes. You're like, wow, this is true. Then you have that witness in yourself. He that believeth not God has made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his son. So for you to believe the record that God gave, you have to have the Holy Spirit open your eyes. But if, if it's important to you, he would do it. If it's not important, he will leave you alone because you don't have the love for the truth. And you'll be fooling around and you follow a manner of stuff. But if it's, if it's important, the scripture says, yes, he will teach you and open your eyes of understanding. And you have the witness in yourself. This witness is the faith that begins to arise and you know for sure that what, this, what the scripture is saying is true. Absolutely true. Because you begin to understand that truly, truly Jesus healed you by his stripes. Now, when you know that, the next thing is action. Faith is action. Faith is totally action. Where there's no action, there's no faith. And God wants to see proof that what you say you believe is true. Luke chapter 5 verse 20. And when he saw their faith, he said unto them, unto him, man, thy sins are forgiven. He saw their faith. What is faith? Faith is evidence that what you don't see is existing. You, you, your action has to show evidence, yeah, that this thing is existing. That's called faith. If there's no evidence, forget it. It's not faith at all. It's not faith. Faith is like love. Love also is proved by evidence. Evidence. For God so loved the world, he gave. Say, so if you want to know the love of God, say, this is love. For why we are yet seen as Christ died for us. He said, action proves love. Action is evidence that proves faith. Where there's no action, faith is dead. It's not there at all. You know, let's just read one example and we'll stop because my time is finished. Matthew 9, 2. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on the bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man is blaspheming. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your heart? For whether it's easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man had power to earth to forgive sins. Then say it to the sick and of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go to the house. And he arose, departed to his house. Jesus said, Put action, rise up. He didn't say, Wait until you feel it. No, rise up. I've healed you. Get up and go. And the man, immediately the man stood up. The power of God hit him. I think God hit Because God saw evidence that he believes what Jesus said by his attempting to rise up. Because if you believe your way, you rise up. You rise up. If you don't put action to this thing, there's no faith at all. There's no proof. God has to see the evidence that you believe that his son took your sickness away. You believe that he answered your prayer. You believe he blessed you. 
believe that he done this, you have to see the evidence. And once there's evidence, the power of God flows towards that faith. Because that woman touched the hem of the garment of Jesus. The Bible said the power flew dry there and effected what that woman believed God for. For those that believe in him will never be put to shame. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we just want to thank you again for the word that you've shared with us. Powerful, powerful. We trust you, Lord, to help us to develop love for the truth. So we invest in it. We invest in it. For you will never give your treasure to those who will trample upon it. And this word, this truth, is the treasure in earthen vessels. Pray, Lord, that you help us to, to know it as treasure, crave it like Paul did, to yearn for it like Paul did. Like the Bible told us in Proverbs, that if we yearn for it like we yearn for money, that we will find it. But we are in this world, and this is the only thing that can give us victory over everything, that can keep us free from the bondage that is in this world. Thank you, merciful Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.